it is a real struggle for Christians to live a godly life in an anti-God world, battling peer pressure and a culture dominated by humanism and religious liberalism and apostasy, brainwashing, a growing anti-Christian bias. And uh, no one can deny that Christians must battle against such hostile forces and influences. We are warned in Ephesians 6 that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. It is fitting that we be reminded regularly of this spiritual warfare in which we are engaged. However, the fiercest and most crucial battle that we fight is not against the world. It is not against Satan and his demonic forces. It is a battle that we as Christians fight within ourselves. A battle that rages within me, a battle that rages within each one of you, a battle that the Apostle Paul describes in Romans chapter 7 as raging within him. A battle with the sin nature that every believer continues to carry with him until Jesus calls us home. It's a battle that cannot be won by just knowing the right things to do and then just setting our minds to do them. It's a battle in which we can only win victory by maintaining and focusing on our intimate relationship with our Commander-in-Chief, Jesus Christ. Our life must be about abiding in and closely following our loving Savior, not just obeying cold and impersonal orders. And this needs to be our approach to living the Christian life, especially as it comes to fighting this war within. Our focus has to be on Jesus. And in Romans 7, we're we're given three reasons why living for Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit is far superior to living according to the law, living according to rules and regulations. Last week we saw that if we are in Christ, we are dead to the law and that the law does not have jurisdiction over us anymore. This morning, we need to consider strange sin's strange link to the law. Sin actually works through the law. And secondly, we want to look at sin's sorry limitation of the law. The law can't bring us victory in our greatest battle. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 7. We'd like to begin reading this morning at verse 7. Paul's talked about the fact that we're dead to the law. Christ fulfilled it for us completely. We're free from the penalty of the law. We serve today in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. We serve Jesus. It says in verse 7, well, what should we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. 
I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through that what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, with the flesh the law of sin. First of all, we find here that, that there is a strange link between sin and the law, even the law of, of God, the law given in the Ten Commandments, the law, the law given in the, the Old Testament. But uh, as it spells it out here, that doesn't mean the law is sinful. And the, the question to ask, what should we say then? Is, is the law sinful? Certainly not, absolutely not. There's nothing wrong with, with God's law. It's perfect. It's holy. God gave it. That's not where the problem is. In fact, there's nothing evil or wrong with law in itself, law in general. I am thankful that in the United States, we are a country of the rule of law. It's not ruled by the whim of a dictator or a king or a judge, although some judges are stepping beyond their bounds these days with some of the whims that they do rule according to. But uh, I'm thankful that, that there, there is a law. And when honorable men make laws, it, it can be a, a good thing for a country. I'm certainly glad we don't have anarchy, where everybody does that which is right in his, his own eye. I'm thankful that we are, live in a nation where we have rule of law. And I'm thankful for those who have and are serving to make possible our freedom and the rule of law that we have in our country. And I'm thankful for those who have given their lives to do so. And you see, the problem doesn't lie in, in God's law. The problem doesn't lie in, in commands to do right or, or refrain from doing wrong. That's not where the problem is. It's spelled out very clearly in this seventh chapter of Romans. The problem's in here. The problem's not here. 
The problem's not with the, the laws of, of a, a good nation, a good laws of a good nation. The problem is within man himself. And uh, we find that there's not one thing wrong with, with the law itself. In fact, Paul goes on here and he talks about some of the benefits of the law, some of the good things. He says law points out sin in, in our lives. In fact, he uses the example of, of coveting here. He said, I, I wouldn't know anything about coveting if the law didn't speak about coveting. Now, really, that's not a sin that, that most people worry too much about in their life, coveting. What's coveting? Well, in Exodus 20, verse 17, it says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. And a lot of times we think about things that are wrong and sins, and we might think about murder and adultery and, and stealing, things like that. But in God's top ten, he includes in there this idea of coveting, which is not even an external sin. It's all in here and in here, where we want what we don't have a right to have. We want what belongs to somebody else. And this is something that, that, that troubled Paul. Uh, Paul, as he was learning the law, he didn't worry too much about murder and about stealing, things like that. But when he saw covet, uh-oh, you mean God doesn't want us to do that? That's wrong? That's sin? Yeah, it is. And the law points that out. You know, there's a lot of things that we see in the Scriptures, in, in the law, and in the principles that are given there, that a lot of times we would not identify even as sin. We wouldn't think of doubt. A lot of times we don't think of bitterness as being sinful. Uh, Adam and Eve probably wouldn't have thought of eating fruit as being something horrible, except for the fact God said don't eat the fruit of that one particular tree. So we find that the law reveals sin. Here's a strange thing. The law also can even provoke sin. We talked about this a little bit last week. Sometimes when we are told to not do something, don't touch the wet paint, we want to touch it. You know, what, what makes it work like that? There's just something wrong in us. I think of my brother. My brother growing up was probably one of the most pickiest, one of the most picky eaters ever seen in this world. Uh, man, he, he just a few things he liked and everything else he didn't like. Well, one night, he and a couple of the neighbor boys slept out in their backyard. And their, their neighbor had a garden. Another neighbor had a garden. And the neighbor had a sign, don't trespass. You know, private property, stay out of the garden, whatnot. Well, my brother and his friends, of course, a little peer pressure is involved here as well. But they decide they're going to sneak into this garden. And lo and behold, they, they got to picking the things from the garden, and they picked a bunch of jalapeno peppers. <laughs> If my mother would have tried to feed my brother a jalapeno pepper, he would have charged her with child abuse. But here he is where there's something they're not supposed to do. They're not supposed to be in that garden. They're not supposed to be picking that neighbor's produce. They picked these jalapeno peppers, and lo and behold, they bit into them. They, they started to eat these things, and make a long story short, they ended up waking up their parents in the middle of the night. And uh, because they, they, they thought they could uh, drink some water, and that would take care of it. Well, 
if you know anything about jalapeno peppers, they don't they don't take care of, that doesn't take care of peppers anyway. So they they end up waking them up. But but what prompted my brother, nice guy, whatnot, to to go and eat that food that he had no right to? Well, it was it was that sin nature inside. Do something exciting, you know. If we're told not to do it or we shouldn't have it, man, that we want it, right? That's the way it works. And the problem's not with the things we're told not to do. The problem's in here. Sin's a very powerful force that works in us. And we find Paul also talks about the fact that, that, that sin, condemn, the law condemns sin and those that are guilty of it. If you look at verse 9, interesting statement here. He says, I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. What's he talking about here? I thought we were born dead in trespasses and sin and need of sin. Well, we are. But I think Paul's talking about his own experience here. He was raised in a Jewish home, and I'm sure that he was taught to love God and to love the law and to serve God, and that God takes care of his people, and God had redeemed Israel from Egypt, and God had, all, had done all this for, for his people, and, and, and Paul grows up this way. But then he gets to the place where, after he's being taught to love God all this time and that God loves him, he, he learns more about the holiness of God and about what God's commands are. And then he realizes, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner in trouble with God. And I need to somehow be redeemed by my God. Let me, let me bring a little more up to date, just a few years, and tell you about my own experience growing up in a Christian home. And I think a number of you maybe that have grown up in the Christian home maybe had the same, the same experience. I thank God for a godly mother and father. And, and from the time that I can remember, and even before that, I was taken to Sunday school and church and Bible school and taught to pray and taught that Jesus loves me. I think the first song I ever learned was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Well, what a wonderful thing to, to know, Jesus loves me. And, and taught that God made me, God made everything, taught about a loving creator, and, and Jesus who was uh, left heaven behind to come into this world to care for his people. Jesus loves the little children. And when the disciples tried to keep the children away, uh, Jesus said, hey, let those little children come to me. And, and I grew up learning from earliest days. Jesus loves me. God's great. God's a great creator. And, and, and I might say, I was alive. I, I, loved, I loved the Lord. I loved Jesus. I loved God. That, that, that was going on in my life as a young child. And then, I don't know what age it was, I, I started to hear something about the holiness of God and started hearing something about the commands of God and how when we disobey our parents that's disobeying God and how disobedience to God can even cause people to go to an eternal hell hell what are we talking about here God loves me Jesus loves me everything's cool between me and God right as I get old enough to understand what God's standards are, I also learned some things about my, my own sinfulness. In fact, 
I was an only child for four years. And I was maybe a little bit spoiled. And then my brother and sister came along, and I was just a little bit selfish, you know. That's my mom and dad there. What are these intruders coming along here for and things like that? Anyhow, I began to get aware of my own sinfulness and maybe a stretching of the truth here or there or snitching a piece of candy when you shouldn't do it. And, and that, that was serious stuff. And I died. I recognized I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. Before I, I understood sin from what I was taught from the Bible, taught from the, the, the Ten Commandments, I thought things were cool between me and God. And, and thank God for a child before he reaches the age of accountability, the atonement of Christ covers his sin, takes care of his sin. Nobody goes to heaven because they're perfect. But a baby that dies, a child that dies, before he understands the difference between right and wrong, they're covered by the blood of Christ. But once we get to the place we understand right and wrong, and we understand that we are sinners, we need to trust Christ as our Savior. That was my experience, kind of like Paul's. Once I was alive apart from what the law taught about the holiness of God, and my falling short of it, and my falling short of it being a very serious thing. You know, I run into people all the time that are raised in, in Christian homes and raised with the Bible, and, and I've heard, I, I talk to some people, well, you know, how, how long have you been a Christian? Or have, have, are, are you a Christian? Do you know Christ as your Savior? How long have you known Jesus as your Savior? And sometimes people tell me, you'll always have. Well, no, you really haven't. Yeah, you've always known Jesus loves you, and you've always known that, that Jesus came into the world to be your Savior, but you haven't always known Him necessarily as your Savior. We have to come to a place in our life where we recognize that we are sinners. In fact, no child is ready to trust Christ as Savior until they can have some type of an understanding of sin and the fact that they are sinners with a child. At what age does that happen? I don't know. In fact, it varies probably for every child, right? But until you're old enough to understand that you're a sinner in need of a Savior... You're not ready to take Christ as your Savior. But the, but the law condemns sin and those guilty of it. And I'm thankful it did that in Paul's life. It showed him he was a coveter. And it showed me that I was selfish and I needed a Savior. And then the law kills us. Shows us that we need a Savior. We need to be made right with God. And what a great thing that is. Paul was once alive apart from the law. And as we said, this is the experience of people who were brought up in Christian homes taught to love and trust Jesus from earliest days, but we need to come to understand the holiness of God and our own need of our own sinfulness and need of a Savior, come to the place where we trust Christ as Savior. Uh, by the way, as far as God's commandments are concerned, if you look at verse 10, it says, and the commandment which was to bring life brought death. If you were able to keep all of God's commands, you could have eternal life. There's just one huge insurmountable problem here. That's the fact there is nobody in this room, nobody out of this room that has ever been able to keep all the commandments of God. Therefore, there's no way we can ever be saved by our own works, by doing right, making up for wrongs that we've done. You can't, once you do one thing wrong, 
and we're going to do something wrong because we have a sin nature that moves us in that direction. So we find that we, don't, we don't, haven't kept the laws of God. We can't. So we can't have life. Sin works through the law. It deceives. It brings death. But the law itself is holy and, and just and good. And uh, we find that it shows the horrible sinfulness of sin. Uh, a lot of times people don't realize how abundant sin is in our life. But the Word of God teaches us that. The, the, the Bible teaches us that. And the problem's not the law. The problem's with man and his own sin nature. We find there's a, a great limitation upon the law. And that's the fact that it, it can't give us victory. And it can't give us eternal life. We find there's a, a battle being described here. If you look at verse 15 and 16. Paul says, the things that I, I, I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And this is something really beyond human logic. And, and it, would, it would seem that a man could do what he wants to do, right? Wouldn't it seem that? Uh, especially a Christian. A Christian wants to do something, he ought to be able to do it, right? And doesn't always work that way. Doesn't often work that way. Sometimes we want to do things and we don't do. That's what Paul's saying here. In his own efforts, in his own work, the things he wanted to do, he didn't do. And the things he didn't want to do, he found himself, found himself doing. He knows what's right. And he wants to do right. He, he regards God's law in, in his heart. He agrees that the law is good. His inner man delights in the law of God. He doesn't see the law as being repulsive. He wants to obey it but he can't seem to do right. And the question comes up, when in Paul's life did he experience this? Is he talking about his unsaved condition? Is this before he came to know? Well, I don't think so. Before, before a person's saved, they don't necessarily delight in the law of God. Before a person's saved, they don't delight in doing what God wants them to do. I think Paul's talking here about his experience as a believer. Uh, Christians here... Can you, anybody here identify with Paul? Can this really be the experience of a Christian person? Anybody here? Come on. Anybody here agree with Paul? Identify with that? Yeah. Ever been through that experience where you want to do something, you don't do it? And it's something you don't want to do, and, and man, I did it again. wasn't going to do that, but I did it. Well, how's that happen? Why does it work that way? Aren't we new creatures in Christ? Aren't we redeemed by the blood of the, the, the Lamb? Aren't we washed? Aren't we cleansed? Don't we have a new nature? Yeah, all those things are true. But I got some sobering news for you. We still have an old nature. We still have a sin nature. He calls it in this passage, indwelling sin. He calls it the flesh. He refers to it in different ways. And so there is a battle that goes on. And God help any of us that think by, by our own strength, we are going to win that battle. That I've got, I've got strong willpower. If I make my mind up to do something, I'm going to do it. If I make up my mind not to do something, I'm not going to do it. In reality, that works with a lot of things, doesn't it? But there's also sin that easily besets us, talks about in Hebrews 12. And there are areas where we, where we struggle. And we can't get away from the battle because the battle is inside of 
of us. And the problem is so many times we, we look at our own efforts and what we're going to do, and that's, that's not enough. We can't do it. We can't just come up with, these are my Christian convictions, and I'm going to live by them. This is what the Bible says, and I'm, I'm going to do these things. And I, I'm not going to do the things the Bible tells me not to do. And I've, I've got the strength and ability to do that. I can handle it. Well, I think one of the things that we find is that Paul uses the first-person personal pronoun in these verses we read this morning 47 times. He's kind of looking at himself and his own, his own efforts and his own abilities. And when we're living there, we're headed for defeat. We're headed for defeat. Rather, we need to have the attitude that Paul develops over in Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm dead, and Christ lives in me, and my focus has to be, my focus has to be on him. I have to be looking to Jesus, not, not to a list of, of rules and regulations, not to the law, my focus has to be on a, a person, upon the Lord Jesus himself. And he, he's really in despair here. He talks about the things I want to do, I don't do so many times, and the things I, I don't want to do, I, I, I do. By the way, this is not, wasn't his constant practice throughout his Christian life. There, there were times when he went through this. There were areas in which he struggled like this. And, and, and that's the way it is with us. And and it bothered him. When he, sinned, when he sinned, it bothered him. It tore him up. And if you're a Christian and you sin, it's going to bother you. The Holy Spirit of God convicts us. And fact of the matter is, if you sin and it doesn't bother you a bit, I'm a little worried about your spiritual condition. Because the Holy Spirit dwells within us and he convicts us of sin. Well, Paul talks about this experience he's going through here, and we find over in verse 24, he's upset by, by some of the defeat that he experienced. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This thing that's weighing me down, and he's thinking about his own flesh here for one thing, but there's also a, a pretty gruesome picture that Paul may also have had in mind as he speaks about this. Paul came from Tarsus. And there was a tribe in the area of Tarsus that had a, a unique way of carrying out capital punishment when somebody murdered somebody. Down through the years, people have, have beheaded folks, or they've stoned them, or they've hung them, or we've got the electric chair, we've got lethal injection, things like that. Well, this tribe had a, a, a very gruesome practice. If you murdered somebody, they took the murder victim and they tied that person's body to you, the murderer. And you're, you've got that body bound to you. And it wouldn't take long till that body, that murder victim, would begin to become defiled and corrupted and rot. And it's tied to you. Eventually, what happens? Well, eventually, the Infection comes in, and it kills the person, the, mur the murderer himself. What a horrible... Can you imagine being in a situation like that? be awful. 
a dying, decaying body that, that, that's attached to you. Well, that's kind of what the sin nature's like. Do, do you realize how bad your sin nature is? As a Christian, there is no sin that you can't commit. There's no depths to which you can't sink in your own sin nature. That's how bad it is. Paul says, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And really, even in the question, Paul begins to show the victory. One thing he doesn't say here, what am I going to do to get delivered? fact of the matter is, folks, you and I can't do a thing. You and I can't do a thing to get victory over our sin nature. So what do we do? We look to somebody outside of ourselves. We look to Jesus. How'd you get saved? There was no way you could get saved on your own. You couldn't do enough to make up for your sin. There was no way you could do enough to make yourself acceptable to God. It, it couldn't happen. So what'd you do? You look to Jesus, right? And thank God for his shed blood. And thank God that he took all your sins upon him as he died on that cross at Calvary. And we trust him and trust him alone and his promises that we can become a child of God. We can have eternal life. We can be forgiven. Isn't that great? What a wonderful way to get saved. That's God's program. Salvation by grace. God gives us something we don't deserve that we could never earn. Salvation by grace through faith. Through faith in Jesus. We look to Jesus. How sad it is. So many times we get saved in that wonderful fashion and it comes down to living the Christian life and we start talking about what I'm going to do. What I'm not going to do. And how I'm going to I'm going to be I'm going to be a victorious Christian. I'm going to be a real wonderful Christian for the Lord here. And we fall flat on our face. Why? Because we start looking at me and my own capabilities and my own spirituality. When in reality, we got that horrible, defiled sin nature within us that can cause us to stoop to the deepest depths. So what do we do? How'd you get saved? We look to Jesus. How do you gain victory in your Christian life? You keep your eyes focused on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we win the victory. That's how we get over the despair that comes from losing skirmishes. That's how we get conquest in the great, the great battle that we face. Our victory lies in Jesus Christ. And the key to victory is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Where it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And here's, here it is right here. Get this. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We're obsessed with Jesus. We keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus. We're Christ conscious in all of our thinking. We use spiritual weapons. We yield ourselves to Christ. We focus on, on feeding the new nature, not just defeating the old nature. Feed the new nature. Give the Holy Spirit working in us, the sword of the Spirit to, to use, to work with us. Somebody hit a button there, would you? Thing died on me. All right, forget about it. 
and how trying to grow in Christ by keeping rules and following the law is like a runner watching his feet. Did you ever try to do that? I am not going to demonstrate, not at full speed. But what a quick way to fall flat on your face. Ben, you're a runner. When you run, what do you do? You don't watch your feet. What do you do? You look at the person's back in front of you. <laughs> if, you're a win, if you're leading in the race and you're going to win, what do you look at? You look at the goal, right? You look out ahead of you. And in running the Christian race, what do we do? We don't look at the rules and the regulations. We keep our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thankfully, Hebrews 12 is up there where it tells us that we what? We look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, our salvation, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I got bad news and good news for you today. Bad news is this struggle against the sin nature, you know how long it's going to last? Till you're 50 years old, right? 80? 97? Uh uh. I'm sorry, you're going to keep struggling. You're going to keep battling. You're going to keep having temptation until the Lord calls you out of this world at the rapture or calls you at death. It's going to happen. But thank God. Thank God we can keep our eyes on Jesus and we can win victory. We can win victory. It's all about the personal relationship with Him, loving Him, going back basically to our childhood. Well, what, what was it we were taught when we were children? If you were raised in a Christian home, Jesus loves me. Taught about Him, getting our eyes on Him, trusting Him. And one of these days, the battle will be over. Aren't you glad for that? The battle will be over. And we get to sit down with the Lord in glory. Sorry, the battle's lifelong. Good news, we can have victory, but not in anything we do. All in what Jesus does in us. We just keep our eyes on him. Heavenly Father, thank you for the promises of your word. Thank you for the, the truth we find in your word. Thank you, Lord, for telling it like it is. Thank you for letting us know that living the Christian life is going to be a battle. Thank you for giving us what we need for victory. Thank you for giving us Jesus. Father, I pray if there's anybody with us that has never trusted Christ as Savior, maybe they are trusting in their, their own efforts, their own goodness to get them into heaven. Lord, show them they need Christ as their Savior. And for each one of us as Christians today, Lord, I pray that we would just be faithful and looking to Jesus, the author and completer of our salvation. Help us to see him in the word. Help us to see him through face eyes as we pray. Help, him to, help us to see his hand in the things that take place in our lives. And God, just help us to be able to say, for me to live is Christ. We know then we can say, to die is gain. God, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.